Hold on to your butt. Welcome to episode 37 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast, joined by my co-host Mary, a woman who makes the best bourbon blizzard in all of Dairy Queen history. I am only Darren. What is up, Mary? One, that's right. I do make the best bourbon blizzard at the old DQ down in King Cardine. Despite the fact you were drinking tea today, pretending to be whiskey on your face. You know it, too. You know it. I was having I Buffalo t- Trace, you bastard. That was a fine Lipton's you were drinking, by the way. Aged oh. Lipton's. And I was just about to say you were the most awesome Civil War geek I know with your hat and your cigar picture today for General Grant's birthday. Okay. Well, I, just, I, I resemble that comment. But anyway, so how, how are we doing today? Maybe you don't. Okay, well, maybe you don't either, but that's okay. Enjoy your tea. <laughs> anyway, so, well, this is an episode starting off swimmingly. Anyway, so how's your day going? How are you? Great. How are you? Well, you know, I was doing good until about 30 seconds ago, but so far, so good now. It's, uh, it's a great day. We had day. a really it's, good it's, day celebrating General Grant's birthday. And... U.S. Grant, 199th, which I think is the bronze birthday anniversary. I'm not sure the 199th is anniversary, but celebrated by many today, many in the North specifically, but we will celebrate with bourbon and cigars as we did today to yes. celebrate the great U.S. Grant's birthday. So, well, it's been fun. He'll come up today. We'll talk about him in our podcast, he although he'll he'll be kind of on the background, though. He'll be a little on, on the sideline. We're going to talk about some other people today, but as we're going to talk about the Joseph Johnston, William T. Sherman surrender in the final leg of the um, this thing called the Civil War we've been talking about for a while. Yep. We are on to our third episode of our Carolinas campaign. So this is our first threesome. It certainly is. Yep. Everybody have a good time. <laughs> we, started with, um, we started with the picking up where the march to the sea at Savannah. We did Savannah into the Carolinas to cover the first part of the campaign. And then mm-hmm. the second episode was about the Battle of Bentonville, which is where we are going to pick it up today. But... We've got to talk about what oh, we're drinking first. Oh, that's right. That's right. So um, why don't you go first since you are shorter? Maybe someday I won't be. How's, okay. Well, it's not creepy at all, but go ahead. Enjoy. <laughs> I'll always be younger though, right? Go on. <laughs> anyway, so I am drinking. Take a hike, which is probably what well, you're going to tell me to do at the end of this episode. Um, long hike of a short period. <laughs> double dry hopped ale which is um, from Upper Thames Brewing Company out of Woodstock, Ontario. And I chose this one just because we're wrapping up our discussion about um, the Carolinas and the Carolinas campaign. When they get to uh, Goldsboro, that's where the March of the Sea ends. So they've essentially been on a very long hike. And I'm drinking it out of my mug that has Sherman's staff on it because the mug not only has Sherman on it, but it's got Howard and Slocum on it as well and plus jefferson c davis and all those fine people we've been discussing throughout these these three episodes you get the whole band myself i'm drinking knockabout campfire because sherman's in this one so we're going to talk about fire nice and since it is u.s grant's birthday i'm drinking out of my unconditional surrender u.s grant mug and so we will celebrate both of them today as you mentioned before, we are talking about this Johnston surrender today. You mentioned Bentonville, but we, we haven't really done Joseph Johnson any do here. We're going to talk no. a little bit about his background because he's an interesting guy. He's a guy whose career spans the entire Civil War, Mary. Mm-hmm. He's there right at the beginning and he's there literally right till the end. So born in Farmville in 1807, Virginia, West Point class of 1825, 13th out of 46, which is pretty high considering the cast we've been talking about lately. Mm-hmm. We're always towards, towards the I bar. know. He was nominated by John C. Calhoun for West Point. He, that's who put him in. 
school while he was Secretary of War. So it's kind of ironic, you know, that he um, gets put in by him. He had a good military career. We'll briefly talk about this as we get into it. So he, you know, fights in Mexico under Winfield Scott at the surge of Veracruz. He gets wounded fighting under General David Twiggs. We talked about him a few weeks ago, Mary. He was the guy in Texas who gave up the, gave up the forts during mm-hmm. the, the initial yep. secession. Yeah. And he fights at a battle called the Battle of Cerro Gordo, which is Spanish for Fat Mountain. So hate to be the prom queen who lives on that hill. Jesus. You know? That sounds but, like kind of like Fuck Mountain. Well, it's almost like Big Round Top, sort of, if you think about it. You know, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Fat, <laughs> where do you live? I live on Fat Mountain. Okay. Is that yeah. down the street from Rough and Ready? Well, I hope so. God. Interesting Friday night in that town. But he, <laughs> you know, so he's going to stay with Virginia. They're going to secede in April 17th, 1861. He was the highest ranking officer at the time to do so. He was a brigadier general in the regular army. And he has a quote. He says, I naturally determined to return to the state. I was a native and will fight for their defense. And, you know, so he stays with them. You know, he's, he's a bull run. He's kind of the guy behind the scenes. He moves his army quickly to reinforce Beauregard. Mm-hmm. He's a huge part of that win, although Beauregard takes and gets all the credit. Johnson kind of does a lot of the behind the scenes work in that battle. And, you know, for that whole thing, he helped design the Confederate flag, Mary, Interesting. Uh, Joseph Johnson. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, but he gets wounded, as we know, at Seven Pines in mm-hmm. 1862 with that other guy gets wounded. You know, Howard. Yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway, so it opens the door for Jefferson Davis to bring in Robert E. Lee on July 1st, 1862. And he's going to end up fighting a lot in the West. He's going to go to Vicksburg, Kennesaw, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We talked about that. He gets replaced by Hood. So that's going to jump us to Benville. We're going to take Cher's advice here, Mary, and we're going to turn back time, okay? And we're going to go back to that episode of Bentonville we did a few weeks ago. The Battle of Bentonville, March 19th through 21st, 1865. Mm -hmm. And this is that battle, if you remember, if you were paying attention, which is probably 50-50. But this is that battle where Sherman is going to try to connect with General John Schofield of Franklin fame in Goldsboro, North Carolina. He wants to reform, he wants to resupply and have a 100,000-man army at that point. When he resupplies and he reconnects, he's going to then, with Schofield, move north to Petersburg to hook up with Ulysses S. Grant, happy Mm -hmm. birthday, in Petersburg to try to finish things off. So that's kind of how it it went. Now, we should probably finish up and highlight Deanna Bentonville a little bit, because I think it kind of tells a story of Sherman a little bit going forward from this point on. It does. There's a part of Sherman that we wanted to convey with these episodes that it doesn't get talked about a lot. And it's this kind of, I think you would want to say kind of this empathetic side, not the monster that he's often made out to be. Mm -hmm. There's a different side to him that comes across in these battles and that's what we wanted to convey well you know johnston talk about him again he's trying to stop him he knows his army's a mess we talked about this they're before done. like he knows they're done, they're done. He, you, know, you know he's he's molly crew nowadays are old and slow but people still think they're big you know whatever he, but he basically but, tells davis and, and lee all i can fucking do is slow sherman down i cannot defeat him like this is like a fucking pipe dream that you have okay well there's another e for the old podcast right there so he's gonna take his army of the south and he's got about 20,000 guys, and they're, they're a shamble themselves. They're falling apart. You know, this towards the end of the battle, we talked about this before, Sherman decides he's going to pull back. He just, he, and this is what you're talking about, the empathy thing, too. I think, and a lot of people think, what he wants to do is avoid the bloodshed. Everyone knew it was over. Yep. Let's just run the clock out. So he knows if he goes at Johnston, he can beat him easily. But he wants to go around him, and he wants to get to Goldsboro, just gets to Schofield. So he's kind of like, okay... He's kind of like that guy in the bar, that small guy who was all drunk and tough. And you know you can beat him, but he just, he's just not worth it. Let's just get out of here. 
That's kind of what's going on with this. So he wants to go around, but he needs to find the Confederate right to get around. He needs to find the way to how the hell I get out of here. You know, this is when he um, enlists a guy named Joseph Maurer. We talked about him briefly to find the end of the line. Now, the problem with Maurer is he's a wolverine. He's a pit bull. He's the last guy you want to find. He's that guy. He's the guy at the bar who wants to fight. He's, he's in charge of Maurer's guerrillas, that 11th Missouri infantry, the hooligans. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's the guy I want with me in the stands at Yankee Stadium when I have a Yankee sucks t-shirt on. <laughs> he's That's like the enforcer in, in right? a hockey game. <laughs> he's like Ty Domi of the Maple Leafs. Do you remember Ty exactly. Domi? Oh, of course I do. You, you know, you mix his letters around with this meat idiot. Ty Domi, by the way. Sounds about right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway, Maurer's going to take his two brigades and he's going to, even though it's a reconnaissance, we call it reconnaissance in force, he's going to go and try to recon, but he's going to end up kind of getting a fight with them. He hits that rebel line with that 64th Illinois. And the 64th Illinois has got those Henry repeating rifles that can fire 13 shots mm-hmm. as fast as you can click. As you pull the trigger, it's going to shoot. They burst right through the middle. They almost catch Johnston. Right, he they get they find his headquarters. Him and his staff to run in the woods and foot. They take off. They almost catch him. But the thing is, is they don't realize how close they were to getting to bagging them all. They were really close to the Mill Creek Bridge, which was the only exit out of Dodge in Bentonville. The fords were, were flooded because it was it was been raining. So the only way out of Bentonville was to cross the Mill Creek Bridge. They were about five hundred yards away from it. And Maurer didn't realize how close they were. If they'd have gone to that bridge and blew it up, they would have trapped the entire Johnson's army on this side of the river. And that might have been it. That might have been the whole war. I mean, who the hell knows? It might mm-hmm. have ended right there. But Sherman calls off the attack. To your point, enough bloodshed. This is pointless. Let him go. And he's going to regret it. He's going to later on, he's going to say that one of his biggest mistakes was not letting Maurer go forward. And this is an all of 2020 hindsight being mm-hmm. our, you know, being our benefactor. But Johnson's going to escape. He's going to use that Mill Creek Bridge and escape to a place called Smithfield, North Carolina. And, and that's going to allow Johnson to reorganize a little bit, right? But the army of Tennessee that he is commanding is still, they're so broken from what they were because of Franklin. And they're so just, it's piecemeal, you know, and what he, the one thing that he has to do is like their morale is already breaking, but then it breaks even more because he starts amalgamating regiments and divisions and all that. And some of them have to get rid of their battle flags and their battle flags are what they rally, rally around. Right. Like they always have those those four syllable words tonight. Holy moly. I didn't pull out my, uh, yeah, my my source, but, but you're right though. They have to, I mean, there's some stats. They're down to what 10 artillery Mm -hmm. pieces at this point. Yeah. They're talking about, you know, the 39th Tennessee, there's 39 regiments. They get consolidated to four. So you can see how these numbers are going down. They lost about 3,000 guys at Bentonville. They had about 20,000 to start. So they don't have a lot left. And so they don't have a lot of guys, but you can see the morale being completely terrible at this point. Yeah, but then when you have to take away your flags, then that's the breaking point for some of them, right? That they've got to... Well, a lot of these regiments... These regiments have been together a lot of times for a long time. And yeah. now, not only, but they didn't get defeated. They just got wiped out. They got laid off, right? Yeah. Well, you saw so, the one called but, Claiborne's division fighting there. Claiborne's been gone for months by this point, you know? Well, he has. He didn't make it. Frank Unless he's zombie did. Claiborne and he's leading them. He could have used them, you know. You've seen that vamp- <laughs> vampire movie, zombie. you know. Zombie, yeah. but, 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 but Johnson has to do this because just for communication... If you're going to march an army, you you have to have them together. So you have to kind of pull them all together. 
Um, he also knew Sherman had a hundred thousand guys potentially, right, in Goldsboro. Yep. So he's doing the math. He doesn't need to be a math genius like you, Mary, to know the odds are about five to one against you. So thank you for not making me do that equation like you did in Second Manassas, where you asked me no, the percentage. Yeah, no, that no, was no, a no, mistake. No, no. <laughs> Ask that way, you know. So he's going to basically what he's going to do. Johnson is just going to go west. He's going to go west, young man, and he's just going to just do what he can to annoy Sherman. He he knows he can't do anything to make up be a pain in the ass. He's just going to be a just a one of those things. So nice village um, people reference. Young man, you know. But you know, fast forward a little bit here to Raleigh, North Carolina. Now we're getting into early April '65. Now, right? So. Johnson's army is going to arrive in Raleigh. And the people in Raleigh, they're excited to see this army coming through because they know Sherman's nearby. What they think is they think that Johnson's going to defend the city. And guess what they do? They land at the airport and fly right out. They yep. just pack their nope. passing by. So it pisses off the locals, the stories of the locals shutting their windows and not even looking at them because they know they're not going to stick around. Yeah. And what's funny about this is the state government in Raleigh sees what's going on. You know what they do? Roll them up. Yep. They're going to go too. And they're going to follow the army out. So we're talking about all the wagons, all the state records. They're going to take them all up. They're going to follow Johnson's army west, including Zebulon Vance, the governor. Mm-hmm. Now think about it. You're in Raleigh, okay? And you're you know, you're hoping you can defend your city against this, this monster, the Sherman coming. Yep. And you see your governor saying, well, I'll be seeing you. <laughs> because they want to stay ahead of Sherman's army because they, they hear all the stories of what he's going to do and they don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. And they end up going to, I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead here, Greensboro, right? And just like that, he surrenders and that's the day. <laughs> well, but you know what? Before we get that far though, right? Yeah. We got to talk about his march. They get mm-hmm. to a place called Hall River. And this, yeah. is, this is an interesting story because, you know, we mentioned before the weather, right? And so mm-hmm. all these rivers are flooded. They're overflowing. Yep. It's a complete mess. They can't get the wagons across the river. They're floating away. Yeah. So a lot of these soldiers, like, they're already demoralized. They're, they're hell with this. They're seeing these things. And they're going, there's no freaking way I'm getting this freaking water. So you know what they do? They send North Carolina junior reserves through the water, these 15-year-old kids. And guess what happens? They get swept away. These kids. It, it's, it's a shitty situation, Mary. This is a, you know, and so they they're in a situation and they're at the end. They finally do get across, and, and you know, while this is going on, Sherman is, is he's leaving Goldsboro at this point. He's got his army, and he's on the march. Yeah, he's headed to towards is it Raleigh that he's headed. That's where he's going. He's going. He's 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 going. He's going to get to he's going to get to Raleigh. You know, but the funny part about it though is, you know, Johnston he knows what's up, and you know what? I think Johnston he gets a bad rap with he history. Does. He really, really does. Right, so. He knows this whole thing is a mess. But the thing about it, though, is, is his subordinates are still have that fighting spirit, that rebel. You know, ah, they don't know yep. to go. You know, there's a guy named Thomas Lanier Klingman. Okay, he's a brigade commander, and he's delusional, pie-in-the-sky delusional. He's running the 8th, 31st, 51st, and 61st North Carolina, one of his brigade commanders. Johnston meets with these guys and says, basically – what do you guys feel like doing? What's on your mood? Thinking, okay, whatever. So this guy, Klingman, he gives him this quote, and I'm going to quote now. So get ready here for some reading. It says, much has been said about dying in the last ditch. You have with you 30,000 of his best men. Let us make our stand here and fight the, fight the two armies, Sherman and Grant, to the end and show the world how we can surpass 
the Thermopylae of the Greeks. Now, Thermopylae, if you remember, Mary, from the movie 300, yep. is when those they made the Spartans' last stand against yep. the Persians. Now, here's the deal. Johnson knew they don't have those dragons and those monsters, right? So he knows they have no chance. So you know what Johnson says to him? I love one his of the response. Best, one of the best quotes in the entire Civil War. He goes, I am not in the Thermopylae business. <laughs> I know, I which love is a that great quote, quote to so, say. Oh, my God. He is so, you know, if you look at Johnston, the one thing that I... I've enjoyed about doing the Carolinas campaign is it's allowed me to look a little bit more at Johnston and he's a funny guy. Like he's got some great one liners and just, you know, he doesn't put up with any bullshit. Like I think going back to Atlanta when he's doing this running the clock down, that's when he is, he's like, we're done with this civil war thing. He's doing it. I think just because he, he doesn't believe in it anymore. He's like, I can't believe I'm still having to do this. You know, but he's got some great one-liners. Well, he's a guy we mentioned before. He goes from Bull Run all the way to to you know, Bennett House. We'll talk about it here in a little while. Mm-hmm. And he gets a couple injuries here and there, gets dinged here and there. But he survives the whole thing, and yep. he gets it by the end. Why don't we talk a little bit on the Union side? So we're in late March. So we yep. got to talk about City Point. Yep, Uncle really, Blingy really makes quick, a right? trip to City Point, right. uh, late March, eighteen sixty-five. Which Abraham Lincoln is there visiting General Grant, and Lincoln's going to be there for sixteen days. So Sherman arrives there on March the 27th, and they go to see Lincoln, who's on the River Queen. So there's two separate meetings in this trip. Lincoln asks about the march, and Sherman says in his memoirs that he seemed to enjoy very much the more ludicrous parts about the bummers and their devices to catch food and forage when the outside was would like thought they were starving. But the funny thing about Lincoln is he's nervous about Sherman being away from all his troops. And Sherman has to reassure him at a few points during this meeting that don't worry, Schofield's in charge. It's okay. So March 28th is this meeting, the more famous meeting on the River Queen with Grant, uh, Porter, Sherman, and Lincoln. And there's a very famous painting done by, I think it's Healy. There's a fucking rainbow in the background, like outside the window and all this stuff. And like Grant and Porter both look pretty glazed over and Sherman is dominating the conversation. Songs about rainbows. And so Sherman and Grant both say that to Lincoln that there's the potential for one more battle. And Lincoln at Uh this point says he doesn't want any more bloodshed. And the important thing about this meeting, the, the thing that's very historically important about it to take away from it is this is where Sherman is going to take what his initial surrender terms are for Johnston on the 17th of April. This is Mm -hmm. where he gets them from is this meeting. Now, nothing, the only person that took notes at this meeting was Porter. Porter doesn't actually pass those along to Sherman until 1866. What happens is Sherman says that Mr. Lincoln was full and frank in his conversation, assuring me that in his mind, he was ready for the civil reorganization of affairs at the South as soon as the war was over. So in other words, he wants to get the ball rolling on reconstruction And the other thing that Lincoln does, that Sherman says in his memoirs, he said, he distinctly authorized me to assure Governor Vance and the people of North Carolina that as soon as the rebel armies laid down their arms and resumed their civil pursuits, they would at once be guaranteed all their rights as citizens of a common country. So that Mm -hmm. is one thing that Sherman takes away from this meeting. And the other thing, too, is that Lincoln wanted the war ended like he's done and he didn't want any more bloodshed or devastation. And just to return all the men to their homes and get on with life and reconstruction. Sherman remarks that Lincoln had very liberal views towards how he wanted to treat the rebels. So that's what this takeaway is from this meeting, where keep in mind, they don't have their iPhones with them. They're not recording it on Zoom. No, they <laughs> don't. Know? They don't. They don't. But, 
but they, you know, they, they talk nuts and bolts. They talk about strategy. There's a debate of what the cavalry should be, North Carolina, Virginia. But to your point, they talk about this piece of this reconstruction. So this is the genesis of the Appomattox and the Bennett House surrenders, right? So to your point, you know, let the soldiers go home. Let them lay their weapons down, go home. You know, don't punish Jeff Davis. Just as long as he gets the frig out of Dodge, let him send him to friggin' Canada with the rest of the morons up there, right? And they talk about the Lincoln movie. They hint at it, but not so much yeah. in that scene. But this is what they do. Now, a couple of interesting things about that old River Queen, Mary, you may not have known about, okay, is after the war, that boat gets sent here to Cape Cod, okay? And gets commissioned in a place, a company called the Steamship Authority, which mm-hmm. still exists right now. That runs from Cape Cod to the islands, Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. It still exists. If, you're, if, you're t- if I'm on Cape Cod and I'm going to the vineyard, I'm taking the steamship authority today. That boat was part of that. That's cool. It ended up uh, by Nathan Saunders on a fall river of Lizzie Borden fame. Mm-hmm. And it eventually goes to the Potomac in 1911 and bursts into flames because a lantern exploded. But it's got a little bit of local history here. So it's pretty cool to see that. You can see when we talk later on about Sherman's peace plan with Johnston, you can see exactly where he gets this idea from. He's following orders. And we're going to talk about an event that's going to happen between then and the end, what's going to change things. But, you know, Sherman's going to leave City Point and he's going to return to his army in North Carolina. He's going to go back to Raleigh. Real quick, April 14th, okay, you know, which is the, you know, what happens that day, but we'll talk about that later on. Most of his army is sitting in Raleigh. Now, we're talking ninety to 100,000 people in a town of about 5,500. It's a small little city at the time. Mm-hmm. The army is spread all over this area. There's a place near St. Mary's School, full of undulating hills, by the way, Mary, in case Rolling you're curious. Hills. And undulations. It's near an insane asylum. Make sure, there you go. Okay. Sherman, of course, is staying at the governor's mansion because that's what he does. He's going to stay there. The Union troops are anxious and they're fiery and they're just, but they're bored, but they're pent up, right? So they have to defend Raleigh from the looters, but they're itching for a fight at this point. They've been sitting around. Kilpatrick, Judge Kilpatrick, the cavalry guy, he's going to, you know, he's going to catch a local. They're rolling through the town one day, and a local pulls a pistol and shoots at him. And he's this guy's name is Robert Walsh. It turns out he's on a local. He's a member of the Eleven Texas, who just took off, and that's where he is. So Kilpatrick basically says, "Hey, you know, why the hell did you shoot at me?" And he says, "Because I hate Yankees and wish you were all dead in a pile." <laughs> that's the quote Jesus. he says. To him. So Kilpatrick says, "Okay, you're going to be hanged," and they hang him. Okay, so that's going to wow. be the end of that. So, so I'm screwing around. So we're going to have to jump around time-wise because it's just the way it is. Yep. But Sherman finds right around this time on the 14th, he's going to get a message from John, from Johnston basically saying, hey, listen, um, let's get together. Let's talk. Let's let's talk about a little a little bit of peace because I think um I think we're done here. Yep. Now we're going to talk about what's going to happen in between there. But but that's around the time when he, on April fourteenth he's going to find out from Johnston that what's going on. Yep. Davis, we're going to go back a little bit of time. I give you a hard time for this, but there's no other way to do this. Davis, if you paid attention to our episode last week, which again fifty fifty. He's on his retreat at this point. On April 2nd, he's going to leave Richmond and he's going to start running around. He's going to send a message to Johnson to meet him in Greensboro. If you remember, he's going to stop in Greensboro that he's going to go to Charlotte. Remember that from last time? Mm-hmm. Greensboro is a small little town, about 2,000 people, but it's a transportation hub. It's a farming town. And it reminds me a lot of Gettysburg, right? It's a place where it's a place where there's a lot of ins and outs into the town, but there's, there's, there's not a lot of action that's been happening there. But it's a huge supply depot for the Confederacy, especially for Lee in 1864. It's just right there. There's a lot of railroads coming in now. Post-Bentonville, 
they're going to start to see a lot of troops coming in, injured troops from this battle. Mm. And they're going to start rolling into the town, or as I like to say, undulating into the town. And they're going to go into every building they can. It's like it's just like Gettysburg. Every building becomes a home, becomes a hospital at this point. The pews of the churches are laying on floors. Every vacant building is going to be a hospital. Meanwhile, soldiers from Lee's army and the Appomattox are starting to come from the other side. They're all converging on this little town. And then what do you have is friggin' Johnston's approaching army to this town. So you can see what's going on. You've got a whole bunch of people all yeah. coming together at once. Just like downtown Goderich on a Friday, at least a drunken fight in the street because there's nothing to do. Um, this loot, this loot, they say the streets were filled with whiskey. You know, that sounds quote. like Goderich. There you go. <laughs> this, uh, local, and this is a town, though, where like they had a lot of warehouses yeah. filled with supplies for food that they were saving for the army because it's on a railroad hub. Yeah. But the locals weren't allowed to touch it. So finally, they say, you know what? This fucking war is over. We're going to loot it. They're going to start going into these buildings, stealing food. They're going to start stealing, you know, you know, there was, it was 1800s. So it was probably like CDs at the time. It wasn't JPEGs. They were stealing whatever they could. But, you all, you know, they're, they're stealing everything. And you all have stories of guys like James Lanes and Montgomery Courses soldiers from Gettysburg who are going to be firing upon these, these civilians at this point. Yeah. You know, to kind of keep the peace, Johnson's going to arrive. He's going to get there to meet with Jeff Davis and Pierre Gustave Toutant Beauregard. They're going to meet in the town, right? And his whole cabinet minus Breckenridge, because Breckenridge is, they're hearing rumors that, hey, I just heard Lee surrendered. Really? You better go find out. Yep. So Breckenridge is going to go look, he's going to leave, he's going to go find out. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a big thing. He's going to go. So we're talking April 12th, 1865 is when, when this is all going on. And they have that council of war. Greensboro is considered to be the final capital of the Confederacy. And this is where, as you said, they're going to meet for the last time. It's said that Greensboro witnessed, not, witnessed the demise of the Confederacy. So Johnston says to Davis at this meeting, Our people are tired of war, feel themselves whipped and will not fight. Our country is overrun. Its military resources greatly diminished while the enemy's military power and resources were never greater and may be increased to any extent desired. My force is melting away like snow before the sun. So he's telling Davis, we're done. And Davis is said to, in this meeting, he said to just be like folding a piece of paper over and over again. He wouldn't make eye contact with anybody. And he was like, nope, we still got this. We can still raise troops. Like his plan was basically to get troops that had deserted and then those that had avoided conscription and he thought they were going to fight for him and he could like just come and kick the union's ass and have the confederacy as his, his own country um, well like we said last week that he thought he had a whole group of soldiers in the trans-mississippi area that yeah. were ready to go and i wonder though if he had that sort of self-preservation thing going where he oh, knew absolutely. that if he quit he was screwed personally because what usually when there's a revolution or some kind of rebellion the leader gets hanged He's yep. probably saying, shit, you know what? I don't think I want to get hanged, you know? Yep. So he's going to sit there and he's going to be delusional. And he's, you know, he's falling back in his own Me Mexican war background and his West Point background thinking it's okay. I think it, it was more than delusion. I think it, it was fantasy at this point, but yep. I think it was just denial. I, I think it, it oh, was. Absolutely. You know, he's tr they're trying to convince him. And, and Johnson said to him at one point, it would be the greatest of human crimes to continue this war. And I think Johnson had felt that way for a long time. That night of the 12th, John, Johnson and Beauregard, you know, they're going to meet meet outside the building and probably be smoking some cigarettes probably, <laughs> talking. And they go, listen, here's the deal. We got to tell this guy this shit is over. 
how the hell we, we got to convince him this is done we're, oh, it's, you know it's over all right let's let's tomorrow we'll get it we'll get together we'll talk about it we'll figure out a way to get this this old guy to just calm the hell down because we don't want to do this anymore. you know what so. probably happened is johnson was like how many men do you think the north has the <laughs> guard was like about a million, well, about a million. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the next day is april 13th and Beauregard and johnson get together with davis and they go okay here's the deal this shit's done. This hunt is over. Yeah. Forget it. It's like I said, the NFL is Bueller. Go home. It's over. Yeah. Why are you still here? And he seems to acquiesce to this. He's, Dave, this is what's funny about Davis. He seems to go, okay, I guess, I guess. But then if we find out later on, he gets to Abbeville, South Carolina, and this has to happen again with him. Yeah. So he's obviously struggling, but he does allow Johnston, he goes, he begrudgingly allows Johnson to meet with Sherman. Like, you know what? Okay, go meet Sherman, okay, and go see what kind of peace terms you can come up with, and we'll go from there. So so this is when the next day, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, Sherman on the 14th gets that message from Johnston saying, hey, um, what are you doing tomorrow? You want to get together and hang yeah. out? Okay, somewhere around. You know, come meet me down here mm-hmm. and we'll talk. So he's going to go to Greensboro. April 17th, Sherman is going to, is getting ready to leave. Now he's sitting in a train station, getting ready to board a train to go to Raleigh, Okay. Which is, uh, and he's going to travel to the Durham area to go meet Johnston. Is when he gets a telegram from Edwin Stanton. This is on the 17th of April. Okay. This telegram is going to tell him Lincoln's been assassinated. Sherman looks at it. He just, oh shit. Because he knows he's got his troops looking to fight. They're bouncing off the walls. And he knows. I can't tell anybody. I just can't. So he doesn't even tell his staff. Mm-hmm. So he's going he's gonna to get on that train and he's going to go meet Johnston. So he's going to get down there and they're going to meet with Johnston in private. And he's going to say, hey, um, JJ, come here for a second. And they're going to meet. In That's pri- what I've done for years. Right? They're going to meet in private. Now, unlike Appomattox, there's no pop and circumstance. There's no silent witness. There's no troops. There's no Chamberlain. There's no one there. Okay, It's just them two at this meeting. Yep. And he goes, listen, before we start, first of all, you look great. Good to see you. He goes, I need you to read this first. Yep. So he pulls out the telegram and gives it to Johnson and says, just read this. Yep. Johnson reads this and he has a holy shit moment. He does. Right? And this and is he the says, first time these two have ever met in person. Yeah. And this right. is what Sherman hands him is the telegram. He has the telegram and Johnson looks at it and he does his whole, you know, wasn't, look, wasn't me. You know, yep. he said, you know, he pulls his whole shaggy and says, you know, it wasn't me, it wasn't me you know, it wasn't me. but he says it wasn't the army. We had nothing to do with this. And Sherman, I think I believe, believes yep. him. He says, he said, I do, but you know, I'm not sure Jeff Davis didn't. They're going to meet and they're going to talk about it. And then Sherman's going to jump back on the train and head back to Raleigh. Okay. So that night he goes back to Raleigh and, but he, he's going to get there later in the day. And when he gets off the train, the rumors of Lincoln's assassination are kind of starting to spread a little bit. Now, they're rumors. No one knows. Yeah. But people are starting He's – the soldiers are hearing this. And they're starting to talk about it. It's not substantiated. The soldiers who did – who believe it, they're pissed. They want freaking blood. They want to keep fighting. They're yelling – because they know they, – they, they knew Sherman was going to make peace. They yelled at Johnson, please don't make peace with Johnson. Please, no, 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 no. They, they want to go. This is when Sherman issues Special Order Number 56. This is the order that officially announces to his troops that Lincoln's been assassinated. So it's official. This is his Kevin Bacon Animal House all is well, all is well message. He says, just calm the fuck down. We need to calm down. That night, okay, and this is this is a cool story. I've always liked the story about the Raleigh story. That night, 
2,000 soldiers from the 15th Corps under Black Jack Logan. Here's his Black Jack again. Yeah. They're camped near the undulation on Dix Hill, right? They are freaking mad. They fire up torches, and they're going to go burn Raleigh down. They're going to go burn the friggin' town. Logan says he stops. There's a bridge that connects where they were. He stands the bridge and goes, stop. You're not doing it. And they go, fuck you. We're doing it. Yep. And they're going to they're gonna keep going. So Logan starts pulling cannon out, loading with freaking canister. I say, I'm going to use this on your asses if you don't stop right now. Mm-hmm. And they finally go, oh, okay, I don't think I want to deal with the canister. So they go back. So it's ironic of all the stuff we've talked about with Black Jack Logan on the whole march to the sea. If he was in charge instead of Howard, yep. he's the adult in the room. And the, the funny part about this, the city of Raleigh literally names him to the Centennial Hall of Fame for their city for this. Oh, my God. So he, he gets a plaque for saving the city from being burnt down. Blackjack Logan in Raleigh, and it's still there. Oh, my God. So, oh. so he's named to the all-time Hall <laughs> of Fame in the city, Blackjack Logan of Raleigh, because he allowed... He would not allow the city to be burnt, which I think is so ironic and so hilarious. I know. It just, it's just such a great, great story. But this is how this goes to show now Sherman's got a problem now, right? Oh, he does. He, he does. And do you know who was in charge actually when he was at Bennett Place in Raleigh? Was OO was the one that he left in command. But OO tells actually a different story of Raleigh, which I found really interesting from all the other reports that I read. OO for our listeners, talking about Howard. <laughs> probably know that by now if you're a regular um howard said the effect upon our soldiers was different from what we had anticipated for their sorrow seemed to overwhelm them for a time and there was little thought of revenge the instinctive feeling was quite universal that the war was substantially over and the work of the assassination was that an act of a few madmen yeah that that's really some really good revisionist history on it is i know right i was reading that okay. and i'm like you're bullshitting howard yeah, it's like <laughs> i mean it was but then so the, the sun does rise the next day on the 18th of april yeah and sherman's going to meet with with johnson again and they're going to go back and they're going to meet again and he's going to take that peace offering that we talked about from the river queen to johnson mm-hmm. very generous terms we're going to protect your officers we're going to protect your politicians it's obviously in clear this is the terms they get from the river queen from yeah. city point mm-hmm. the agreement signed they agree johnson's very very happy but sherman notes i just need to get approval from washington first and this is all set so stand by so as you can imagine this is post assassination now okay and you know the mood of the city of oh, halleck yeah. and stanton we talked about this with the assassination trials right they're going through a bloodlust now so they get this peace offering that says, everyone walks home. We all sing Kumbaya. We hold whole hands at the campfire lights, make some yep. s'mores, and we all go home. And they're going, fuck, you are doing no way. Yep. Someone's going to friggin' pay. So they reject this thing. They reject this thing hard. They want someone to pay the price. He goes, listen, we're going to send Grant. We're going to send him to Raleigh to deal with Sherman and just deal with this guy because he's, he's being so soft yeah. post appomattox post assassination so now the whole world has changed and so now poor johnston he's left standing in the rain holding his diaper april 23rd johnston gets the text on his android okay yeah. that the peace deal was rejected by washington and he tells davis and this is where you got to give johnston credit mary mm-hmm. you got to give him credit for this he tells davis they, they ain't having it so he, he t- so Davis goes, well, you know what we got to do now then? You need to reform your army. You need to go to Texas and resume the fight. 
you know what Johnson tells him? Fuck that. He says, fuck you. Yeah, he oh, no big time. Way. He, he disobeys a direct order and he doesn't do it. And the reason that these terms are rejected is because, like, Sherman got into some civilian and political matters. He wasn't supposed to do that. And I, I think kind of, of if you think of the psychology behind this, so he's going in there. He's meeting Johnson for the first time. They both are in agreement that the the war needs to be over. But Sherman's going in there, like, probably high emotion, right? And he's remembering this meeting that he's had with Lincoln. And Lincoln is somebody who he held in very high regard. And I think in some ways, he was just like, the emotions were playing into it too. Like, I got to honor Lincoln. and I got to do what he he wanted, because he, he was such a great man. Because he said that, like, um, Howard explains it, that he said, the clause which recognized the state governments whose legitimacy was to be determined by the Supreme Court, together with the other paragraph, which defined political rights and franchises was what caused such a furor of opposition in Washington. So just this whole, like, the recognition. They didn't want to recognize the Confederacy that way. No, that was always an issue. But yeah. but it's always interesting to me that Joseph Johnston, the, a military man's military man, the highest ranking soldier to, to quit the to, to quit the Union for the Confederacy. Yep. His last direct order as a Confederate general, he, he disobeyed. He fucks I, yep. I always thought it was cool. Flat out refuses the order. And he goes to see Sherman again on his own. He, he says, I'm going to meet with this guy. So April 26th, which is a big day because it's also the day the booth gets caught and killed. Mm-hmm. Johnson and Sherman are going to meet again at, at Bennett Place in Durham. It's going to be a similar deal to the Appomattox deal for the most part. Mm-hmm. Johnson, of course, is going to accept because he has no choice to. They meet. And there's no – unlike the Lee thing where there's some big teary speech, there's no big deal. That's it. He sends every soldier home with one day's ration and one piece of silver. Have a nice day. Yep. Thanks for coming. Enjoy your life. He's going to send him home. And that's going to be the end of it. That's going to be the end of this whole thing. And Davis is going to continue on his escape. That's going to go to Irvinville. We talked about that. This is going to be the end. I mean, there's going to be some skirmishing in Texas and some other places going to happen. But for all practical purposes, as much as, you know, as much as is, is Appomattox, it's a lot of credit. This is the final nail in the cough. This is it. Yeah. So Johnson, Johnson is going to quit. And, and somewhere along the way, Johnston and Sherman are going to take a shine to each other through all this. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a mutual respect. and There's a million reasons why. But we'll talk about their post-war in a second because I know you've got some better place you want to talk about some yeah. stuff. But it's interesting to, to see their relationship, how Sherman, where he had that sort of that soft spot, his, his little fiery heart melting at Bentonville, yeah. it really showed going forward. Because he could have made it a lot worse for these people. He really, really did. Oh, and for all, the, for all the crap that Sherman takes, especially historical memory speaking – this is a moment of pure humility for him mm-hmm. that he's going to allow these terms to go even after Halleck screws him on that initial deal. Yes, and we will talk about that, what Halleck does to him. But yeah, so so just quickly about Bennett Place. The people who live there are James and Nancy Bennett. They have never owned slaves. They've always just worked the land themselves. And they have three children. So Lorenzo, Eliza, and Alfonso. Unfortunately, both boys are going to die during the Civil War. Lorenzo will actually die of typhoid fever up in Winchester, and he's actually buried in Winchester. Um, so you can go visit his grave there, which both of us are into going to cemeteries and visiting graves like that. And then Alfonso... You still maintain six feet distance when you go. Exactly. Safe if you're in a pandemic. Um, <laughs> Alfonso dies at home. Eliza, the daughter, she's married, but her husband is off fighting in the Civil War. And so she lives with her parents during it. And all three of them are there when this meeting at 
their house happens. Like, I guess Johnston and Sherman just come knocking on the door and they're like, hey, can we meet in your parlor? So they meet at Bennett Place. And it's actually a place you can go visit it now. Um, they have a website and they actually have a like a kind of a foundation where like American Battlefield Trust, you can donate money to them. And it seems like a really cool, interesting place to visit. And I think it's a little bit underrated. You know, everybody knows Appomattox, right? Nobody knows Bennett Place, but this is the largest Confederate surrender in the war well, the is, only, is done here. The the only remaining actual original building is the fi- is the fireplace yeah. of one of the buildings. Yeah. What they what they did is they basically took the chimney, the, the masonry, mm-hmm. and they they built an old, a new building around it. But that actual chimney, the the the, the, uh, the masonry, yeah. is the original from the original building. That's the only thing that's standing. But it's still there. I'll buy Durham, not far from not far from Duke University. There's a lot of places we've talked about that don't get the publicity that these some of these places do. But to your point, um, Bennett Place is one that should be up there with that Maddox. So no question. Oh yeah, they do. And they just actually released um, a, a YouTube video with one of the the guys that works there talking about the surrender and it's actually very it's really good so it's on youtube if you just google bennett place surrender it'll come up and i think it's just through like like bennett place um but they released it a few days ago and it's really really it's about 45 minutes long and i listened to it the other day it's really it's it's quite interesting um definitely mm-hmm. place to visit post-covid as well seems like a cool spot <laughs> What are you going to say when you can't say post-COVID anymore? I don't know. <laughs> you're going to still going to say it. I should probably stop saying it. <laughs> COVID's been gone for 30 years. What the heck? Stop saying it. Shut up, you fresh. But, Anyways, <laughs> just edit that one out. Um, oh, yeah. So I think we want to end this episode on a high note. So should we talk about Halleck and... Well, I... I, I think we want to talk a little about the post-war with Johnson and Sherman. Yeah, that's what I, I meant. Cool... That's that's what I meant. Ending on a high note is ending with that. Oh wow, you cool. Anyway, so so jo- so Johnson and well, you, you got to this. We got to talk about the letters first of all to Sherman Halleck. We got to talk about that. Oh, but yeah. right. So we'll do that. But then um, this, we try to talk specifically about the post-war relationship yep, between these absolutely. two. Johnson and Sherman become freaking frack after the war. Um, and they end up going being very close friends. They're, you know, Freemasons possibly. Johnson certainly was. Sherman probably was. But these are regular dinner guests at the, uh, you know, in Washington D.C. Johnston, through all the war, through all the reputation, he would never allow anyone to speak ill of Sherman. His presence would would never allow him to do it. Ironically, Johnston, after the war, ends up working like Davis and in insurance companies. They must have been hiring. Are you a former Confederate? We're hiring. Yes. They must have all gone. So he ends up doing that. He, he ends up being elected as a congressman later on, ends up being on the commission of on the railroads under Cleveland. You know, it's going to continue on. And then we'll, we'll talk about the funeral here in a second. But you've got to read that letter. Oh, the letters between. You've got to read. you got to read. you got to read that. So we talked about that when the whole thing went down with Stanton and Halleck and Sherman with the surrender, Halleck gets involved. And we all know when Halleck gets involved, things get a little bit dicey and he's, he's so fucking two faced and Sherman saw right through him in this instance. What happens is Stanton had written to Halleck after April 21st, telling him that Sherman had thrown away all the advantages we had gained from the war, affording Jeff Davis an opportunity to escape with his money. So then Halleck tells Stanton, oh, dude, I know from reliable fucking resources that, guess what, that is indeed true. And Davis was trying to make a deal with Sherman so that he could escape with the Confederate Treasury. So Stanton, being Stanton, leaks this to the press. 
and the New York Times publishes it and the media has a heyday with it, like completely. Apparently, it has as much coverage as the Lincoln assassination did. So Sherman, there is just this media shitstorm, and we all know how Sherman feels about the media. And Howard says in his memoirs, like, by this point, it's coming out in the papers when Grant comes to Raleigh to smooth things over with the surrender. Howard said that that friendship saved the whole thing because Sherman was absolutely livid at what had happened. I have a really good quote from Schurz, is, um He's in the Carolinas at that this point with um, with Sherman, and he said that, when it happened, when Sherman found out about the media and what Halleck had done and Stanton had done, um, Sherman apparently paced up and down the room like a caged lion and without addressing anybody in particular. He had some eloquent language of furious invective, which for a while made us all stare. So he's just letting out whatever slur of swear words, probably like me on a Saturday night, you know, Monday, pass Tuesday out. morning, Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> And, like, this is just, he's basically, like, Grant says it's almost like Sherman was denounced. So, Sherman's going to be going up to City Point after the surrender. And on May 7th, he writes to Halleck. And it's just a few sentences long. And he says, we're not friends anymore. I will come to City Point tomorrow and march with my, my troops. And I prefer we should not meet. His troops do not salute Halleck as they walk by him at all. Like, they got wind of what he'd done to Uncle Blingy, and they didn't like it. But then Sherman on May 10th, because he's got a... Sherman doesn't know when to stop. He writes him another uh, letter, and he says... And I was going to put this in modern-day terms, but you know what? Sherman writes it so well, I couldn't. He said... I received your cipher dispatch last evening and have revolved it in my mind all night in connection with that telegraphic message of April 26th to Secretary Stanton and by him rushed with such indecent haste before an excited public. I cannot possibly reconcile the friendly expressions of the former with the deadly malignity of the latter and cannot consent to the renewal of a friendship I prize so highly till I can see deeper into the diabolical plot than I now do. Basically, dude you fucked me over and I know you did like he's pissed and then he says I little dreamed he would turn up in the direction and guys he did but thank god I have become so blessed to the dangers to life and reputation by the many vicissitudes of this quote-unquote cruel war which some people are resolved shall never be over that nothing surprises me I will march my army through Richmond quietly and in good order without attracting attention and I beg you keep to keep slightly Purdue. For if noticed by some of my old command, I cannot undertake to maintain a model behavior, for their feelings have become aroused by what the world judges as an insult to at least an honest commander. If, a lo if loss of life or violence result from that, you must attribute it to the true cause. A public insult to a brother officer when he was far away on public service, perfectly innocent of the malignant purpose and design." He's pissed. And I wonder well, if the I mean, whole I wonder if the whole brother thing though, when I read that, and this is why I didn't change it, I'm wondering if Halleck was a Mason as well. And Sherman just feels absolutely betrayed. Well, it very well could be. We talked a lot about the politics and the post war, and this is a first hand you know, the whole thing. You know, and you you feel bad for that because you, it is no surprise that Sherman had no desire to run for office if nominated, I will not run; if elected, I will not serve, because he sees this bullshit. He wants nothing to do with it. Yeah. So let's we'll jump ahead here a little bit to February fourteenth, eighteen ninety one, which I 
day, day I think it is Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. is going to be the day that William T. Sherman dies. Okay, um, he's going to die, and uh, Joseph Johnston is going to be one of his pallbearers. It's a rainy and cold, shitty day in St. Louis. Okay, Sox probably beat the Cardinals again. That's everybody in a bad mood. But there's a big procession, twelve thousand soldiers. It's a seven mile long march from the church. Um, to, to, to Calvary Cemetery in St. Louis, where he's going to be buried. And Johnston, and he's going to refuse to wear a hat during this. And despite the weather, you know, and, and someone asks him basically, why, do, why, don't you wear your, why don't you wear your hat? He says, if, if I were in his place and he were mine standing here, he would not have worn a hat. And that's this conjecture about that. But, the, but that's, that's a quote that's attributed to this. Johnston is going to ultimately get sick. He's going to get a cold. He's an old dude. He's been around. You know, he's an old codger. It's going to turn into pneumonia. He's going to die on March 21st, 1891. So they're going to die about 10 days, about a month from each other, yep. actually. A month and a half, actually. Johnston is going, to be, is going to be buried in Greenmount Cemetery in Baltimore, which is the, not far from John Wilkes Booth and Michael O'Loughlin and Sam Arnold. And, and a, lot of, a lot of people have talked about Isaac Trimble's buried there. But they're all going to be buried together for the most part in Greenmount Cemetery in Baltimore. And that's going to be the end of Joseph Johnston. But it's going to end a long friendship and a long military career. And he's one of the few guys. We've talked about guys like Sam Wiley Crawford, for example, mm. people like that who were there at the very beginning, who made it all the way to the very end. And Joseph Johnston is, is, one, is one of the rare ones. He's one of them. Now, and he's very, I think he's he's definitely got talent. Problem is, is he's not friends with Davis at all. And that plays against him. And, you know, I posed that what if to you the other night, like, well, what if Johnson hadn't been wounded at Seven Pines? Because that's the only reason why Lee comes into command. And you had speculated that, you know, Davis probably would have tried to ship Lee West and Lee would have been like, "Mm, no. So then eventually Johnston would still go West. I personally think he would have tried to ship Lee West knowing he was going to say yeah. no to give him an excuse. I think it would have ended the way exactly the way it was supposed mm-hmm. to end. I think Lee was going to stay in Virginia. Johnson was going to go West. Johnson's biggest mistake was that he wasn't as aggressive as some of these other guys. And that's what got him. We, we talked about Atlanta, for example. But I think much can be said for being cautiously a, a cautious fighter, especially when you're in a war that you're designed to play defense. Yep. And you, you just, right. And I think he's someone who does not get the credit he does. Joseph he Johnson, say what you will about him. There's an old quote that says the, the shot that took out Johnson is seven pines is the best shot in the civil war. Right. And I never got that because yeah. I thought, I think, he, I think he was a guy, I think he's got a lot of the same traits as McClellan does, believe yep. it or not, which is focus on preparation fighting cautiously but aggressively when it's when it's there for you but not recklessly and i think that's someone whose johnson's legacy is what it's going to be but if you ask the average person civil war people they're going to talk about jack jackson they're going to talk about lee they're going to talk about guys like that johnston was there for all of it he the was. very beginning to the very end now he was a guy who did you know he did quit his commission he was the yep. highest ranking guy to quit so you can't make excuses for the guy but he's someone who stuck with it kind of got screwed left and right for the most part yeah he, he was still there he did, still, um, but you know what as, as bad as he got screwed he got screwed seven pines he got screwed in atlanta mm-hmm. he never shut his he never opened his mouth until the very end he stuck with all the crap with davis until he knew that it was over and he told davis to go screw we're surrendering we yep. are done so he put up with a lot of crap and finally finally at the very end he um 
he gave up. And that, yeah. and that, that's the Johnson's credit. That's the Johnson's credit. Exactly. And I think is. that's why I think that's why he gained a lot of respect from a guy like Sherman. Well, right? apparently he, they gained they they gained an admiration for each other during the Atlanta campaign. And you know, like Benton Place is the the first time that they ever meet in person, and and the first thing Sherman does is hand him a telegram and and tell him. Lincoln's been assassinated and Johnson is like, this is the worst possible thing that could have happened. And I think, you know, you see in the Atlanta campaign, I think with Johnson not being the aggressive type of soldier, you know, that is going to come in when John Bell Hood does, you know, as you, you've said many times, and I agree with you, like he, he's running the clock down. You know what I mean? I think he recognized in 1864 that it was over and it had to be over and there was too much bloodshed already. But then you have him at Kennesaw where he's mm-hmm. able to, maneuver his troops and win that battle you know so he well, does he tried, that talent he, he did he tried to bait lee to attack him frontally okay at bennett at, at ben, bentonville and he wouldn't do it yeah. johnson's a guy to quote kenny rogers you mean knew sherman? When to hold him you said no. lee yeah sherman <laughs> sherman was a guy like knew when to hold him knew when to fold him yeah. that's who he was he read the room well he wasn't overly aggressive, he wasn't overly cautious, but he he was right at the right guy at the right time. And I've always said before, Johnson getting dismissed at Atlanta was the biggest mistake they made at that, that time period. Yeah. Could not could not have been a bigger mistake, but to Johnson's credit, he didn't just quit and give the finger and walk away like you would have if someone orders a too many blizzards on the yeah, drive through with the King Cardine DQ. Drive up, he, he, <laughs> he he stuck with it because he was a soldier. It wasn't until he realized it was hopeless, dare I say, a lost cause, that he finally said no and he quit. That was yeah. the end. So I, just like that, the war comes to an end. Yeah, but I think there's no, definitely is like the Mason factor in their friendship, and I think too between Halleck and Sherman, I think the Mason thing was running, and that's that like that's to me that's got written all in that letter when he says the word brother yeah, that's when it hit me i'm like whoa he's calling this guy out you know so we see this like a couple of the takeaways from this is like you see this friendship form between johnston and sherman and i sometimes think that they might have been a little bit closer than what grant and sherman were which that's going to be an unpopular opinion but that's just i don't know i just get that feeling about their friendship when you read between the lines and how they were with each other and how they seem to hit it off right you know almost immediately but then you have this the other side to it is this friendship dissolving between Halleck and Sherman that they were just this one instant they were done and Sherman basically just tars and feathers him with these two letters and with his soldiers not saluting when they walk by but then the other thing too is the grand review in Washington and Sherman has the last laugh with Stanton and he refuses to shake his hand when he goes up in that podium and, you know, Stanton is an asshole in this as well for what he does with going to the media. He he totally made it personal, you know, like typical Stanton, right? Well, I, I think, you know, when you're looking at the big picture of, of heroes and villains on both sides of this, at the end of the day, you know, war is just an extension of politics. And politics is always going to be there at the very end. Yeah. And Halleck and Stanton are going to epitomize that with the Civil War. And it's going to affect all of these guys positively and negatively. And at the end of the day, the people who realize the writing on the wall, we're talking about the John Mosby's, the James Longstreet's, mm-hmm. the Joseph Johnson's of the world, ultimately realized there was a reconciliation and trying to grow the country back together again and try to assimilate themselves back into a mm-hmm. unified country. Whereas some of these guys like Jubal Early, you know, who you know, people like that wouldn't. And I think that's that's what the whole reconciliation process is. And I think Johnson's a good example of that. I, I think he was. You know, he works in Grover Cleveland's yep. administration. 
clo- obviously close with Sherman. And I, th- I think it's a good story to tell. I, th- I think his surrender is should be just taught just as much as Lee's surrender. It should. Because he, he was, unlike Lee, he was directly told to take his troops, reform exactly. and fight. Lee, Lee said, Lee knew that this is over. Now, admittedly, he had people like E.P. Alexander and people like that trying to get him to be a more of a guerrilla war, yeah. the Lee people. Mm-hmm. But Johnston went against direct orders and said, no, no more. No more bloodshed. No yep. more. And I think that's why Sherman respected him. Because I think they were both on the same page. Yep, together. they were. And the other thing, too, about this is this this is a side of Sherman that doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, like we, you know, historical memory Sherman, which we talking about when we read our next book club book, which is Through the Heart of Dixie, explores that, you know, the, the march in historical memory, which includes the historical memory of Sherman, like, you don't hear the word empathy applied to him a lot. But I think in this case, you know, I think that visit to City Point, and being able to meet face to face with Lincoln and hear what Lincoln had to say, and remembering all that. And I think that coupled with the assassination, put his emotions very, very high that day on April 17th. And he just wanted to do what he thought Lincoln wanted. The thing is, is like you have Stanton and Halleck going against Sherman, but you have all his troops rallying with him. Even Oliver Otis Howard said that Sherman was completely done done wrong by by Stanton and the media and all that. And he didn't, he was, Howard said Sherman was just trying to do the right thing at that time. Mm-hmm. So he has like, Sherman has the support of the army in this. This is not something that, the army did not support, which tells me that this was a the personal game by Stanton and Halleck. Well, Sherman's old thing. He said all along, going back to Nashville, he said you had to win a hard war, but you know what though? By fighting a hard war, yeah. it's gonna be ended quicker and you're gonna save more lives than it's gonna be than at the end of the day. So so yeah. you know, people in the South don't agree with that all the time, and that's fine. But I think at the end of the day, what Sherman did ultimately was save lives. You can prove it right at Bentonville. He could have destroyed Johnson right then and there, but he just walked right by well, basically walked right by him. And he offered him pretty good peace terms. And he ultimately, you know, he didn't get the terms he originally wanted, but he got, pr- Johnson got pretty good terms at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they had a life, remaining life of friendship for yeah. it until the very end. And I, I think, I think if Johnston had died first, you would see Sherman there was, was Paul Bear. Exactly. Now, who knows if he wore to wear a hat or not, Mary? Who <laughs> well, Johnston said no. <laughs> he wouldn't well, have worn a hat. <laughs> but, but, if he, but if he did, I think, I think that's what that was. So I think that's a good place to drop off. I think there. so, we too. Can talk, you know, I, think, um, I think it's a good story to tell. This is all about talking about people, about humanity, about understanding these people as individuals. And I think as you get to know these people like we have and anybody else who studies these people, you get to see their mindset a little bit and how the wheels turn. And how this whole thing comes together at the end of the day. Well, you can and see the, I, the the emotion in that le- that Sherman put in that letter to Halleck. That you can see that he's emotionally hurt. These are not just these are not just like dots on a, a battle map. These are humans with feelings, and he clearly valued the friendship he had with Halleck. What he's writing in that letter, and Halleck completely backstabbed him by doing what he did, saying to Stanton, "Oh yeah, I got reliable information that this is what's actually happening." You know, just see them as humans and that they've got emotions that are playing into this too, you know, and there's friendships and everything else. They're not just automatrons on a battle, you know. No, I think that's a good story to tell. You always study these people as people because that's exactly who they are. Yeah. They're the same goals, same dreams, same everything as people do today. It's just they were from a long time ago. So what's next? 
So we are, well, we will have had our round table by the time this episode drops on Saturday. So I'm sure that will have been a great time. Um, and we're going to be doing our Facebook live at 10 o'clock on Saturday. We had to do it Sunday last week just because we had some stuff, Saturday. other stuff Back going on. Back to Saturday. Um, our next episode, we're going to be doing part one of Chancellorsville. So that's going to be a two-parter for us. And yeah, that's what we've got going on over the next few weeks. It'll be a good time. Chancellorsville, we'll talk a lot. I bet you. Oliver Otis Howard comes up in Chancellorsville. Probably not in the first part, but more so the second part. I bet he does too. But I'm sure he'll come up in the first part too. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about the um, about Lee. We'll talk about about Hooker. We'll talk about splitting up his Lee's army and attacking Chancellor's house. All that fun stuff that we get to talk about. I'm again. sure Jackson so, will come up too. Well, I bet you he will. I bet you he will too. I bet you he will. Um, we'll talk about his um his arm situation we'll yeah. talk about too a little bit too anyway so any final words from you as we head off after x episode 37 yeah. holy moly mary 37 episodes yep well thank you to all our listeners for all your support and thank you especially to everybody who a lot of you gave us feedback about our episode about jeff davis and we really really appreciate um hearing what you guys think um and just we're glad you're enjoying it and that we can bring you some history and nerd out about the civil war and thank you to everybody who enjoyed joins us for our facebook lives and yeah darren thank you to you for putting up with me for 37 episodes hey we all have our crosses to bear so let's put a bow on this one hey hey head off into the sunset we'll talk about the next one so thanks for listening everybody we'll talk to you we'll we'll talk to you at a round table we're doing it tomorrow and we'll we'll talk about it on saturday so live on saturday back at 10 o'clock in the morning action-packed live on Saturday as we head into Chancellorsville, which we'll have a lot of fun with that. And we're getting to that campaign season out there. Yeah. Every, where all these days are coming up. So we got yep. Chancellorsville coming up. And Gettysburg's around the corner and all these fun things coming up. So we got a lot of fun stuff I think we're going to be doing an episode about. about Seven Pines, too. No, I bet we are. I bet we are. I'll be having tissues ready for that one. <laughs> You know, but anyway, so anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Mary, again, the pleasure, as always, was all yours. And we'll always look forward to talking to you around the, on the Nobody saw side. it, but I totally just stuck my tongue out at him. <laughs> for once, I didn't not, give not, him the burb. Well, there we go. It's not a pretty tongue. Not a pretty tongue. <laughs> anyway, so hey, great night, everybody. So we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, see you guys later. Peace out. Bye.